welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We are going to be uh, this morning in 1 Peter chapter 4, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, and then let's go ahead and stand uh, for the reading this morning. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you uh, for bringing us here this morning, early in the morning. Thank you for uh, showing us uh, just the grace of a a beautiful sunrise. And uh, I pray that you, Lord, would uh, speak to us this morning from your word. And I pray that those words would be words that we need to hear, um, and that uh, I pray that those words would make us more like your son, Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. So uh, I do want to thank you, uh, a lot of you, for all the the kind words that we've received the last week. Uh, The condolences, really. So we were gone last week, and... uh, our house flooded, um, and we, we just received this overflow of love and support, and it was only surpassed by the, the overflow of toilet water that was uh, coming down from our ceiling last Sunday morning. So uh, I think last Sunday morning it was raining outside for everybody, but um, for us it was raining inside. <laughs> and, and so Eric Thompson, it was so nice, he actually drove over to our place and helped us air out the ceiling, drilled some holes, you know, did kind of like the, the uh, emergency, uh, emergency repair. And then um, Philippe was over uh, yesterday. He's probably exhausted. That's why he's not here. Uh, patching drywall for us just about all day. So we are okay. We are in the clear. Uh, I heard that there was another flooding, though, in the church, and I don't know what's going on with, uh, with all this water. But anyway, um, it was crazy. We... We had no idea what to do. It's never happened to us. Anything like this is, it's just never happened to us before. So now, that, and then, you know, it was a crazy week, and then this morning I'm preaching on suffering. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Uh, we had to cancel the baptism last week, which was a bummer. Um, but uh, th- there was a, a happy end of the story. We did get, we managed to change locations right at the end. And um, Cadence and Caleb, right, ended up getting baptized. And um, they had family out and everything. So the baptisms that were scheduled for last week, we're going um, to postpone them. Um, you know, in this, this whole flooding thing, it ended up uh, turn, working out really uh, well for us, too, in the end. Uh, you know, I, well, 
I don't know. It could have been much worse, I should say. And uh, at least at the end, I, you know, I was humbled um, too as a, as a father because I finally realized that I, did, I just blew it. I did not do a good job at all in training my children how to use like the proper amount of toilet paper when they, when they go to the bathroom. So I don't know, you, li- you live and learn. But I, I actually, I was not joking when I said that uh, this morning's message is about suffering. And this is a theme in First Peter. And I know, it's, I, I won't even pretend that our uh, inconveniences this last week were compared at all to the type of suffering that Peter is talking about here, or the type of suffering that I know that so many of us have gone through, um, just even in this church. Um, we have we experience a lot of suffering. Um, it happens uh, so much. I know that you know that there are people in this church, even in this room, that have endured the pain of losing loved ones to illness, addiction, in accidents. Um, sometimes it happens suddenly. Sometimes it happens over long periods of time. For some. Um, We've endured uh, life-changing or debilitating injuries, medical conditions. Some of us have suffered with mental issues and continue to suffer. Some of us have suffered the aftermath of, of broken relationships, right? Um, some of us uh, have endured difficult relationships and continue to, to endure them. Some of us have suffered because of our own bad decisions, but some of us have suffered because of someone else's bad decisions, you know, and then even when that happens, we, we then can make it difficult on ourselves trying to figure out, like, why is this happening? What is, is, is God good? And um, that can be torture in and of itself. And I say us, just as a side note, I say us because um, this church is a great place, actually, to, to endure suffering, isn't it? Because I, I, I just feel like it's a family, like it's so, so much a family that when one of us suffer, we all suffer together. Um, we all come alongside each other. Um, and if you haven't experienced suffering like this, and you're wondering why the last three weeks, actually, these messages have all been on suffering, well, I think you're lucky, and I think you might be in for it. <laughs> so this message is really for you, because all of us will, will endure some kind of suffering. And in this passage, in 1 Peter 4, Peter is telling his readers to get ready for suffering. Uh, basically, to gear up, arm yourselves, be prepared to suffer. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Peter tells his readers, we're going to just look at three things. Um, he tells his readers and then us also. He's telling us, to prepare for suffering. The gospel prepares us for suffering because it gives us, um, first, a divine purpose, secondly, an eternal perspective, and third, the gospel gives us a suffering Savior. So we're going to look at those three things. So take a look. First off, um, the gospel gives us, prepares us for suffering by giving us a divine purpose. Take a look at uh, verse 1 here. This is 1 Peter 4.1. It says, Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The word um, arm yourselves, it's the only command given in this whole section, this whole passage so far. So it's, it's, that's the command. And if you're new, somewhat new to reading the Bible, 
Um, those are kind of the things you want to key in on. What are the commands, or what is this passage telling me to do? And that is, that's the command. The original readers would have heard that and said, okay, this is what you know, Peter's writing to us. This is what um, he wants us to do. And, and through extension, this is what God wants us to do. And so those you really want to pay attention to. So that arm yourselves, um, it, in the Greek, it means to prepare, especially by equipping. And it's frequently used in a military context, actually, to describe the process of preparing for battle. So it means to gear up. To, to put on armor, really, um, to get ready for battle. And so Peter is saying that the suffering that these Christians are going to go through, and really the suffering that we go through, is a battle. Um, and we really have to be prepared for it, right? We have to gear up for it. And that's really um, a theme throughout this uh, entire book. The, uh, the name of this series that we've been going through is Keep Going. Um, and it's really keep going because you're going to endure hardship. You're going to endure suffering. And so um, that, that's the command here to arm yourselves or prepare yourselves. And so that's what uh, we hope to do through, through this passage is arm ourselves for suffering. Fun, right? <laughs> Doesn't that sound nice? So uh, if you look at uh, verse 1, Peter goes on to say, For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, and if you, if you were paying attention during the reading this morning, you might have perked up at that. Like, what, is, what does that mean? It, it is, um, there's a couple difficult parts to this passage, um, but hopefully uh, we'll, we'll clear them up too uh, so that, that we understand it. This, this verse here is often misunderstood. It's an often misunderstood phrase. Some people understand it to mean that somehow uh, suffering as a Christian makes us perfect. That somehow we could be sinless um, if we suffer. And it, it just doesn't mean that. I mean, Scripture and also experience, doesn't it tell us that nobody's perfect? Nobody can reach perfection through suffering. Um, so one theologian puts it this way. He says, the phrase, ceased from sin, cannot mean no longer sins at all. For certainly that is not true of everyone who has been willing to suffer for doing right. And several passages in scripture rule out that idea. It rather means has made a clear break with sin or has acted, has, has most definitely acted in a way which shows that obeying God, not avoiding hardship, is the most important motivation for his or her action. Okay, so that's what we're looking at right here. So this makes much more sense in the context, too, because Peter goes on to say in verse 2, uh, take a look at verse 2. It says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So when we set our minds to suffer like Christ, we have ceased from the way of sin, and we've decided to follow the will of God. Right? That's all it means. So when you identify with Christ in suffering, you live for a divine purpose rather than your own pleasure. That's what we're talking about here. That's what this, this verse means. And so what does that look like? What does it look like when you're prepared to suffer uh, for the will of God? Okay, so I think we need it to answer this question. I think it'd be good to look first at Peter's life. What did that mean in the life of Peter? So for Peter, it meant faithfully serving the church after Christ's resurrection and ascension. For, now, he messed up, right? Like, gosh, 
Peter. I mean, he, whew, he barely made it. But after that, right, um, he uh, ended up writing these two letters, First and Second Peter, that bear his name. Uh, he ended up in Rome, we think, most likely, ended up uh, being a leader in the church in Rome. And um, he ended up, he was prepared to suffer. He ended up suffering and dying under the ring of Nero. From the best tradition, the best history we have, he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified the same way that his Lord was. So that's what it meant for the life of Peter. What about the other 12 disciples? What did it mean for them? So Paul was beheaded in Rome probably around 66 AD, again under Nero. For Andrew, he went to um, what was called the land of the (laughs) man-eaters. That's what history tells us, which today Christians in the Soviet Union claim Andrew was the first one to bring them the gospel. He also preached in Asia Minor and Turkey and then Greece where he was crucified. How was Thomas prepared to suffer? He ministered in the area of Syria and tradition has him preaching as far as India where ancient Christians there in in India looked to Thomas as their founder and he was martyred uh, by four soldiers with spears um, from, from the best record that we have. Philip, what do we know about him? He had a powerful ministry in Carthage, in North Africa, and then in Asia Minor, where he converted the wife of a Roman governor. Roman governor did not like that. So in retaliation, Roman governor had Philip arrested and then cruelly tortured and put to death. Matthew, uh, he ministered in Persia, in Ethiopia, And uh, some reports have him being stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Um, Bartholomew traveled to India. You guys notice a pattern here? I traveled to India, back to Armenia, and also to Ethiopia and Southern Arabia. Various accounts tell of um, his martyrdom also for the gospel. James went to Syria, and the Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot, ministered in Persia, was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Uh, Matthias, the apostle that replaced Judas, went to Syria with Andrew where he was burned to death. John was the only disciple um, that is widely thought to have died of old age. Um, but even he was exiled to the island of Patmos where he, he, we think he wrote the book of Revelation. So if you look, this is a pattern throughout history, right? Voice of the Martyr, Martyrs estimates that there has been uh, over 70 million martyrs uh, for the gospel since the time of Christ. And a realistic estimate by the International Society for Human Rights has 10,000 Christians dying every year um, for their faith. So these people all were prepared to die, to, and they gave all, but we are required to give some, right? At least we should give some. Uh, So what are some of the ways that you might be called right now to suffer for a divine purpose? You may not suffer death, but some of us surely are called. But you may not suffer death, but you, you, you might be called to suffer financially for the gospel, loss of opportunities, the cost of, of helping and caring for others. You might uh, be called to suffer emotionally uh, by the loss of some relationships or by holding on to some of those relationships that, 
that um, it, you know, sticking beside people is, can be very emotionally costly. Um, you may be called to suffer in terms of your, your reputation, right? This is what Peter says. Look at it in verse 4. He says that they will malign you, right? It, it's it's going to happen, right? And so the gospel prepares us for suffering because it gives us a d- divine purpose, right? It gives us a higher purpose. But the, the gospel also gives us an eternal perspective. So secondly, the gospel prepares us for suffering because it gives us an eternal perspective. So take a look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, for for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. And so Peter actually goes on to give us two reasons why we wouldn't want to waste our lives chasing after sin. So you guys, you guys see that in, in, those, in that verse? Um, first, he says, for the time that is past suffices. He says, we've lived enough in our sin or seeing other people's sin to know that it doesn't work, right? That's what he says first off. It just doesn't work. And if you look at the list of these um, sins that he, that he rattles off here, what's really interesting is these are all ways that the world deals with pain and suffering. All right, so, he's, so he's telling these Christians, you know what, you're going to suffer. And when you suffer, don't try to, uh, to, to numb your suffering in the same way that the world does. So if you look at the way that these are kind of set up, it's really interesting. It's either following pleasures, so that's the living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, or it's following idols, lawless idolatry. And so that, and we know, we say, yeah, that is, that's the way that the world deals with pain, with suffering, and that's the way that I'm tempted oftentimes to deal with pain and suffering. So some try to deal with pain and suffering by, by self-medicating with sex or food or drinking. And that's what Peter goes after right there. And, and you know, it, if this, just on a side note, if this describes you, get help here. I'll talk to somebody. Nobody's going to be shocked at anything, at any sin that, that you're struggling with or you're, you're dealing with. Um, but we don't want to be, we, we don't want you to... Um, to be uh, overcome by this because we've watched so many people follow sex or food or drinking it down into a spiral of addiction, right? And, and uh, we, we definitely want to help you out of that. And we know that this doesn't cure suffering. And Peter's saying, basically, time's up, right? The time is up for pleasure and going after idols. Um, and, and as far as idolatry, sometimes idolatry can be a real foreign concept to us. We think, well... <laughs> Idolatry check, I don't do that. I've got zero statues in my house, like zero idols. It's, it's, it's the heart of idolatry, though, that we're talking about here, right? So idolatry, in Scripture, worship is sacrificing anything in your life um, for God's will because of what God's done in your life, because of his mercy in your life. Idolatry is when we dedicate our life, we sacrifice our life to something else, anything else. Uh, Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson put, said it really well. I love this. He says, um, a, per, a person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out 
That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. So that's what an idol is. It's whatever takes over your imagination, whatever takes over your emotion, whatever takes over your thoughts, whatever wakes you up in the middle of the night and you stress out thinking about it or wakes you up in the morning and fills you with hope, that's what you worship, right? And that's what we go after. Um, so what are some of those idols in your heart that you're continuing to ha- hang on to? That's a good way of thinking about it. What, wh- what do you meditate on? What do you think on? Um, those, those are the idols that we need to, to hang up. The time has passed for going after those. That's what Peter says. Um, and so secondly, Peter says we wouldn't want to waste our lives chasing sin, um, not only because of these passions and these idols, but because we have an eternal perspective. So we know at the end of this life, we will, look at verse 5, give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And we all know that life is very short. The pain and suffering of this life will fade into eternity. However, the rewards, the consequences of this life will last forever. Did you guys love that? Um, I, I actually wasn't in service last week, um, but I listened to it, and I wish I was in service. Did you love that illustration that uh, Pastor Eric gave with, with that mile-long twine and that little bit marked off at the beginning? And I had to go back, actually, and listen to this, this message, so I could, his message a couple times so I could get it right. But he, he marked off this little piece of of a piece of string that was over a mile long. And he said, this is your life on earth. And this is, this, is what has, this is what consumes us. And then this is your eternity, right? Like, let's live for this rather than, than this, little, this little piece. And he said that through, at, at the end, I, I just love this. He said, through Christ's death and resurrection and suffering, he has conquered death and evil so that we can't lose. He said, you share the gospel and they insult you, you win. You get cancer and you have to be faithful to God through that, you win. You get afflicted with mental illness or autoimmune disease or Alzheimer's and you suffer faithfully for Christ, you win. Take all your wealth, they, they take all your wealth, your property, you win. Imprison us, we win. You die, you win instantly. Like, I, I just, I love that. And Peter continues with this idea. Right? He is saying, he wants to remind us of the eternal perspective um, that we have. Uh, take a look. He continues on in verse 6. Look at verse 6. He says, This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Okay, again, this is another one of those verses. Of, you're like, whoa, that's weird. What's Peter saying here? Okay, and if we just... We can get all kinds of weird ideas if we just take this passage out of context. But in the context, and you have to remember that this letter was written to a group of people in a particular time period. This is a letter not to us. Um, This is somebody else's mail that we are reading. It's for us, but it's not to us. And so it makes so much more sense um, if you look at that. Uh, in, in that way. This is an often misunderstood text. Uh, what people try to twist this to mean is that somehow people will be given a second chance um, to hear the gospel after they've died. It can't mean that because Peter has just said that we will all give an account, the living and the dead. 
So he wouldn't just go on and say, oh, by the way, you got a second chance at it. That's not what he's saying at all. Those who are dead are those who died during the first few decades of the church. So this is who's, who Peter is writing to. And it would have been a common objection at the time because they thought, they thought Christ was going to return right away within their lifetime. And it would be a common objection from people. They, they see all these Christians living uh, set-apart lives, holy lives. They're maligning them. And then these Christians who have lived faithfully, they start to die. You know, they get old and, or they have accidents. And so the, the, the people that object to the, to the church, they say, why would I want to f- live my life like that? You're not having any fun. And then you die just like the rest of us. And this is the objection that Peter is writing against right here. And I think all of us might be tempted to look at someone who died faithfully serving Christ as, ha- as having wasted their life. I, I know I do at times. And I was thinking of my grandfather, actually. Um, he was a big, <laughs> really big, joyful, loud man. But he really, I mean, he really lived a life of, of, uh, of po- poverty, but um, it was poverty that he chose um, because he was a pastor and he chose a real difficult path. Um, and my mom, <laughs> my mom used to share stories about how when, when they were, you know, they would often live in the, the house that's connected to the church. What are those called? Parsonage. Oh, Parsonage. Yeah, you guys are, we don't have those anymore. We meet in a school. <laughs> so um, she would talk about how they, they lived there, and she, she would say, your, your grandfather used to have homeless people staying there all the time and making food for them, making meals for them. And she was, you know, she's a little girl. She's not crazy about having, you know, strange people in and out of the house. But it's what they did. And, you know, he, he was... He, he was a pastor of small churches all across the country. And when I was a kid, we would go to their house. They finally settled in the middle of nowhere, Arizona. Middle of nowhere. And he pastored a small church. They lived in a, a small, uh, like a double-wide type uh, mobile home. And it was a church mainly of, of uh, retirees. And uh, I remember going out there, and it was all, the, their house was always freezing, it was so cold, and um, you know the food was <sighs> it was home cooked, I guess, but um, it, it just did not seem like a life that anyone would want and uh, he finally retired from ministry in in his seventies and he moved back here because my parents basically begged them um, and he was such an active guy he never slowed down he always had a house project. That he was working on and and actually just before Eli was born 12 years ago he was cleaning the gutters and he fell off a ladder he fractured two vertebrae and he died (laughs) and I think you know what was his life a waste (laughs) and if it was for this life only (laughs) yeah but it's not, right? And that's what Peter is telling us. He's saying, this is why the gospel is preached, even to those who are dead, like my grandfather, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, though he died just like everyone else does, 
um, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And you know, he lived a simple, faithful life. It was full of hardship, but I have no doubt that he is enjoying those rewards, right? With God. <laughs> His name was Victor. And that's uh, such a fitting name. I was not going to get all emotional on this illustration. Sorry. So the gospel um, prepares us for suffering because it gives us a divine purpose, a, an eternal perspective, and finally a suffering savior. Um, the good news of the gospel is that Christ died to save you from the penalty of sin, and we know that. He died to save you from the power of sin, and one day he will uh, save us from the presence of sin. Christ died to win victory over evil and death. That's what we looked at last week. He died to give you his righteous life. That's true. The list goes on and on of reasons why Christ died. But we, we almost missed it here. We went right over it because Peter is saying that the gospel, that Christ died in order to prepare you and I to suffer. It's one of the reasons why he died. Look at it again. Look at verse 1 again. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And Christianity has a unique message among the world's religions for the problem of pain and suffering. Most religions teach a way to deal with suffering or to even maybe overcome suffering, rise above suffering. But Christianity in the gospel teaches that God himself comes down alongside us and suffers with us. And so um, uh, John Stott wrote this. I love this. He says, in a real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? When I have turned to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wretched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness, that is the God for me. Amen? He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. And I, I don't have a perfect answer for this problem of pain and why the world is so, such a, a painful place. I, and I don't think there is a perfect answer, but what I do know is that Jesus Christ is the only God who has stepped into this painful world and he took on pain and suffering for us. He offers himself on a cross so that though we experience this temporal life, this, this tiny bit of pain and suffering in this life, we can have a future that's free of it. Amen? Amen. And I, I've been thinking, it's weird, I've been thinking a lot about butterflies this week. Have you guys seen all the butterflies everywhere? Um, it, it's crazy. But I have actually right now about 30 to 40 butterflies in I'm a biology teacher, so it's called a chrysalis, not a cocoon if it's butterflies. Hey, you learn something new every day. I have about 30 to 40 of them in my classroom right now because I do a lab with my students where they, they watch and measure uh, the butterfly development uh, from, from that larval stage. So it's really cool. But 
one of the things that happens every, every year when we're about to, uh, we, we got to move them out of a small container into an area where they can open up. So we have this netting. And if, if you have a picture, I actually took a picture of it. I have this netting, and it's a couple years old. But this is kind of looking right here are the, uh, this is a couple of the chrysalis hangings. And then right there, if you look at the bottom of the netting, it looks like a bloody mess. <laughs> and all of the kids, I mean, I, I, I actually this year I had to hang a sign because I got tired of explaining it over and over and over and over again uh, to, to all the kids that would ask. Anytime they'd see it, they'd say, what, what happened to the butterflies? You know, the poor butterflies. There, was there a, you know, the, some kind of massacre? It looks like a crime scene in there. Um, you know, you look at it and you think, like, are they cage fighting in there? What is, what is going on? Why is there so much blood? And I have to explain. Okay, it's actually not blood. It is a fluid. It's called meconium. And it helps uh, their, with their wing development. And... Uh, and I know a lot of the moms are like, I've heard meconium before. That's something else. Yeah, it's, it's something else. But it's, it's got the same name. I don't know why it has the same name. But um, yeah, it helps with their uh, wing development. And when they open, uh, some of this fluid drips out. And yeah, it ends up looking, it ends up looking really bad. And, and you know, it was, it was funny because like, this really hit me. It really hit me this week. You know, I, I'll explain to the kids... You know, it's not blood, it's actually the fluid, the, the thing that makes them the beautiful creature that they'll become. Uh, and, it, and it hit me how great of an illustration this is of how suffering transforms us. Um, when we arm ourselves, like Peter says, with um, the same mindset, the suffering mindset that Christ had. Because to the outside world, sometimes our suffering can look like a bloody mess. But it is, in reality, it's, it's turning us into the beautiful creature that we'll become. It's transforming us more and more into the image of Christ. And that's what having this, this suffering mindset, this eternal perspective, this view of a divine purpose uh, can give us. And especially when we look to that suffering Savior um, who comes to suffer alongside us. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, so much for this letter um, I thank you that throughout history, you have allowed your people to suffer, but you have always been right next to us when we suffer. We thank you for your son who um, lived a life of suffering, uh, and he died a, a cruel and painful death. But he did that so that he could walk with us in suffering. And I pray, Lord, for your people here. I pray that as we walk through suffering now or as we walk through suffering sometime in the future, Lord, that we would be prepared, that we would know um, that though uh, we suffer, we have a Savior who has, has suffered everything for us. And I pray that we would look to him. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covegraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.